when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players, you have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. Welcome to Just Pod Baby with your host, Evan Grote, your home for Raiders news, notes, and information. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at egrote 5 and you can follow my work over at silverandblackbride.com. Later on in tonight's show, I'll be joined by Raider superfan Wayne Mabry, a.k.a. The Violator. I'm going to start the show off tonight by talking a little bit more about the draft. I know that we're about a week um, out from the draft, but we've had a chance to kind of digest what went on, and and a lot of those draft analysts that are out there have had a opportunity to put their grades out. So I want to discuss that um, in the first segment. Overall, the Raiders did receive pretty high praise from a lot of those analysts that are out there. Initially, of course, there was some some negativity. There were some people who were very critical of the draft class, but throughout the week, we started to hear some more interesting comments about. Um, things that went on, you know, in the draft room. If you read Peter King's piece that he put out, and also we, you know, we we heard some more um, uh, interesting things about how people viewed that pick of uh, Cleveland Cleveland Farrell in, in round one. One of those statements that was made was um, something that I thought was very interesting. And every year, you know, Mike Mack would put out his his player rankings, and and he would put out one mock draft. And that was something that was highly valued around the league with coaches and general managers. You know, uh, co- coaches would call Mayock and, and ask him you know, players he liked and you know, where he had them ranked and, and, and whatnot. And so obviously that wasn't the case this year. So if Mayock, for, for months and months leading up to the draft, if Mike Mayock had been pounding the table for Cleveland Farrow and had him ranked among his top five players in the draft, other people would have picked up on this. Other analysts, other coaches, other GMs would have would have kind of joined the bandwagon because he is so re- well respected in the business, and um, Farrell would have risen on many people's draft boards. Let's face it, and I think you know there's definitely some validity to this statement. As I said, Mayock was one of the most, if not the most, uh, well respected draft analyst and, and talent evaluator in the business prior to becoming the Raiders' general manager. One other thing that I, I would like to address before I, I get um, into the draft grades is the criticism that Gruden and Mayock took mostly from fans that I saw on Twitter, but also from some people on TV, like um, people on ESPN, Todd McShay for, uh, being one of those people, for not trading out of the number four spot to add more picks and then still trying to select Cleveland Farrell. I was one of the people who defended the move on Twitter Again, it, it did come as a bit of, of a surprise to me, but I, I saw the reason why they would make the selection. Uh, well, it came out this week that, obviously, there were there wasn't a trade partner. It, it wasn't an option to trade down. 
Um, once Quinn and Williams went off the board to the Jets at pick three, there there really were no other players available that were that were worth trading up to pick four to take, and so um, you know it, it didn't it didn't happen that way. Gruden and Mayock stuck with the stuck with their board, and and they took Farrell, who they viewed was the best player available in their eyes. And it really it really boggled my mind that many people couldn't see the fact that. You know, it, it takes two to tango, and and obviously Mayock and Gruden were well aware of the fact that they could have gotten Farrell a little bit later, and, and the wise move would have been to trade down to acquire more, more picks, but it, it wasn't an option, and uh, many people failed to see that. With that out of the way, let's get into some of these draft grades, and I want to start with ESPN's Mel Kuyper. He's been one of the people who's been doing it, uh, one of the guys who's obviously one of the longer uh people and uh, careers in the business and Kuiper gave the the draft a B uh, he was one of the people who who did call the Farrell pick a bit of a as he the words that he used a head scratcher but he did later go on to say that he he feels that Farrell is a great combination of high character and, and high production he viewed Josh Jacobs uh as the as the draft's best running back and he considers him a, a plug-and-play kind of guy he also believes that the third pick in the first round, Jonathan Abrams, is a, a Gruden special. He's an intimidator that'll make you feel as a tackler. So um, you have to be happy with with those comments. I also gave the grade the the, the class a B. So I, I agreed with with Kuiper. The second person that I want to talk about their their grade for the Raiders was or is Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, and he's the host of the Stick to Football podcast. A guy who I really um, kind of grown to like especially this year I listened to his podcast quite a bit leading up to the draft and I guess you could consider him kind of a rising star in the business Um, he gave the the draft an A he had really great things to say about it in fact he said Mayock had a fantastic first draft as general manager of the Raiders he had a top 10 grade on Josh Jacobs and I believe in his final big board before the draft he had Josh Jacobs ranked number eight overall he had a top 25 grade on Abrams and a top 32 grade on Trayvon Mullen. So he, he really felt that the Raiders hit a, hit a home run in those first four picks. He described the, the mid to later round picks as the Raiders going after trait guys, as he, as he called it, um, like Max Crosby and Isaiah Johnson, who were guys who, you know, probably were drafted more for their measurables and, um, their combine numbers, you know, there's there's some upside there. They could be considered more developmental players. Um, he he thinks that Foster Moreau will be the starter at, at on day one uh, for the tight end for the Raiders. He had great things to say about him through the draft process as well. And he says Hunter Renfro will get on the field as well. So he really believes that there's six players from this class that um, will be starters or big-time contrib- contributors in, in year one. The third analyst that I took a grade from here is, of course, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network, and he also gave the draft class an A. He calls Farrell um, a rock-solid foundational player. They got my top ten, uh, my top running back and safety in Jacobs and Abrams, and they got a lot of uh, size and athleticism mixed in there with those mid to later round picks. And one other thing that I want to point out is his partner that's on set with him is um, 
Bucky Brooks there. And, and Brooks made an interesting comment that he thinks that one thing that will go underrated about the Raiders draft class is the amount of team captains that were brought in. There was a lot of leadership that was brought in uh, to that locker room with some of these selections. And, and these are guys that obviously can, can help change the culture. And that, was, that really was one of the main goals for Gruden and Mayock going into this draft. It's been well-documented, high-character uh, guys who can, who can lead and, and will help change the culture uh, in the locker room. Now, the final comments that I want to make on the draft before so we can kind of put a bow on, on the 2019 draft is that, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if you agree, but in, in my opinion, this year's draft just has a different feel. Um, or it, it feels just so much safer than it has in past years. It feels like there was a a well um, devised plan, and and that plan was executed nearly perfectly. Um, obviously, with the exception of they probably would have liked to have traded down with the first pick, but besides that, I think it was executed very well. Last year, it seemed just more careless to me, reaching on players like P.J. Hall in round two. Trading up for Brandon Parker, who, you know, a small school tackle in round three. Uh, taking a risk on a guy like Arden Key, where, uh, who obviously, you know, has a high ceiling. There's a lot of talent there. But many teams um, had kind of red flagged him for off-the-field issues or medicals. So there was a lot of concerns there with him. And I, and I really believe that Mike Mayock had a huge influence on, on John Gruden all throughout throughout this process. And I, and I think the future looks very bright with, with Mayock as the general manager. Up next is headlines. Blue 42! Blue 42 set! Hey! It was actually a very busy news week for the Raiders. I'm going to start with headline number one, and uh, we're going to talk about some of these subtractions and additions that were made to the roster this week. Isaiah Crowell, who was just signed in free agency this year to a one-year deal, was lost for the season when he suffered an Achilles injury that will require surgery. Uh, Gruden described the injury as a freak accident. Uh, it occurred during um, you know one of the off-season um, program workouts this week. Um, so that's a real bummer for Crowell because, as I mentioned, he was signed to a one-year contract. So he was really looking to showcase his talents so that he could, um, you know, be signed to a, a longer-term deal in the future. And with, within hours of that of that happening, the Raiders had already signed his replacement in Doug Martin. So yeah, the the muscle hamster is back in silver and black, and I think it's a good move. Um, you know, there were some rumblings that Marshawn Lynch said that he would be interested in coming back if the Raiders wanted him. Um, and I'm not really going to get into that too much. But but overall, my, my viewpoints on that, I, I think the ship has sailed with Marshawn. And, and I know that may not be a popular opinion uh, with Raider fans, but, um, you know, he really hasn't been able to stay healthy in the last couple of years he's, he has spent with the Raiders. And, and I think that uh, Martin was very uh, productive when he was... Um, you know, in in relief of of Lynch last year, so uh, so I'm definitely on board with uh, bringing Martin back. And the other uh, big roster move that was made this week was that the Raiders released tight end Lee Smith. Uh, Smith spent four years with the team, um, as you know, known for his mainly his blocking. Although he did have a couple receiving touchdowns last year, you know, Smith became expendable. Uh, you know, because they added um, younger options. I guess you could say, at the position when they brought in um, Luke Wilson, 
who was, again, a primary blocking tight end, and when they drafted uh, Foster Moreau. So uh, both of those players have a, have a similar skill set, and, again, they're, they're much younger options. So we, we wish Smith um, the best of luck. Headline number two, the Raiders declined to exercise Carl Joseph's fifth-year option, and this really comes as, as no surprise. Um, Joseph's been kind of up and down throughout his career. He's, he's had some injury concerns, um, you know, re re recovering from the ACL injury that he suffered in college um, and, you know, not really contributing early in last season. Uh, Gunther deciding to go with veterans who he felt could pick up the defense a little bit quicker. Um, Gruden did say that you know, this, this he and he really drove this point home in his press conference on Friday at, at day one of the rookie minicamp. He, he really emphasized that this in, in no way is a reflection of how the organization feels about Carl Joseph. They, you know, they fully expect him to be one of the leaders in the locker room and to be a big-time contributor on the team. Um, so, you know, Joseph will now become a free agent um, after the 2019 season. And, and I look at this in a couple of different ways. First of all, you hope that this gives uh, KJ a little extra motivation going into the, into the season so that, you know, he, he does have a great season. I hope that he builds on the success that he had, you know, in the final eight games last year. And the second thing is, if he doesn't, let's say he has kind of a down season and doesn't play as well as the coaches would like, well, then you're not on the hook for him for that fifth year. Uh, and you can move on if that's what you choose to do. So so I have no issues with the move, um, and I'm not sure if anyone had a chance to check it out, but I did write a piece this week on silverandblackpride.com, um, and the piece was titled, can Carl Joseph and Jonathan Abram uh, coexist as Raider safety? So I kind of give you my thoughts on and how I feel those two will, will coexist. Headline number three, John Gruden answered the question that many of us had been concerned about with the offensive line when they signed Trent Brown. Uh, Colton Miller will, in fact, stay as at the left tackle position, and Trent Brown will play on the right side along with Gabe Jackson, who is, who is going to stay at right guard. Uh, again, this has been something that a lot of people had been speculating about over the past several weeks since Trent Brown was um, signed. And um, it looks, well, it, it is, the, Denzel Good is the leader in the clubhouse right now for that left guard job. But Gruden did say that the team's going to look to you know, continue to add some competi competition um, by you know bringing in players if, if necessary to you know keep that that left guard spot competitive and and some will criticize um, you know the Raiders for paying all that money to Trent Brown just to put him on the right side but you know it makes a lot of sense if you think about it Brown has played on the right side when he was a member of the 49ers and, and you don't really want to disrupt uh, Miller's you know, pro progress. You know, he he is still only a second-year player, and so you, to 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 move him to the right side just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So again, I'm on board with with that move um, as well. Headline number four: uh, The Raiders added ten undrafted free agents to the roster, and and this this happened immediately after the draft. It's like a mad rush to try to sign all these different players. Teams are competing. Uh, with the undrafted free agents. Some of the more notable players that the Raiders brought in uh, that I, I will mention, uh, fullback Alec Ingold is one of the guys who you keep hearing about. 
He's a fullback out of Wisconsin, and he was one of the Senior Bowl guys. And, you know, he will compete with uh, Keith Smart um, for the fullback job. I think that uh, although Keith Smart is a big-time contributor, uh, uh, Keith Smart, Keith Smith is a big-time contributor on, on special teams, um, he did show some some uh, weaknesses last year. Uh, I know they went to him uh, a couple times on short yardage where he dropped a pass. and uh, So so nothing's a guarantee f- for Smith. Uh, Lester Cotton is another guy who you keep hearing about. He's a guard out of Alabama, a big, big, massive guard. Um, started many games with Alabama, so... You know, maybe he's one of the guys that Gruden was was referring to when he talked about bringing in competition at the left guard spot. Um, one of the other players is another Senior Bowl guy, uh, ride receiver Keelan Doss, and he's a local guy out of UC Davis, and he was invited to that local um, prospect day that the Raiders had, and and many were surprised. Everything that I've been reading about this guy is that many people were surprised that he went undrafted. He had a really productive college career, although he did suffer a uh, an injury, um, I think it was during the combine or just after the combine, which which could have affected uh, why he wasn't drafted, but he's a player to keep an eye on. He has a good mix of uh, size um, size and speed, so he could be a, a, a kind of a dark horse to make the roster as, as maybe one of the uh, wide receivers. And the last free agent that I think is, is worth noting is Tavon Coney, linebacker out of Notre Dame. Now he's another player that, again, many people had a day three grade on. He had a highly productive career with the Fighting Irish, started 29 games, and, and as you guys know, the linebacker position with the Raiders is, is still a little bit shaky. They did bring in a couple guys, Burfecht and Marshall, um, kind of as a bridge player. But they were both signed to one-year contracts, and, and I, w- I think it's safe to say their their better years are behind them. So if, if Coney could flash in training camp, you know he definitely has a shot to make the roster, although I do feel, obviously, you know Burfecht is a guy that Gunther feels comfortable with kind of making those calls and, and, and leading the defense because of his uh, you know, experience in the system. So those are your headlines for this week, and up next is my interview with Wayne Mabry, a.k.a. The Violator. On the line with me is Raiders superfan Wayne Marbury, a.k.a. The Violator. Uh, Wayne, it's an honor to have you on the podcast with me tonight. i got to ask, how are you? Evan, I'm fantastic, and thanks for having me on, brother. No problem. Um, you know, I, I've got so many things that I would, I would like to ask you and I, you know, I, I hope I have time to get them all in, but what I kind of want to do is I kind of want to go back to the start. Um, I did do a little bit of reading up on you so I can get a little bit of a background, um, about you. And, and from what I understand, you were one of the, the four founding fathers of the black hole. Um, so I guess what I want to know is where did the, the whole idea, the concept of the black hole originate? Well, let's get it let's get it corrected right now. I'm just <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and I, I'm just an honored member of the black hole. I did not start it. It started with a guy named Robert Vera and, you know, a few of his friends, but I became an honorary member of it. Uh, all I can do now is be an ambassador, and that's what I've been doing for 28 years now, trying to be an ambassador 
for the team and also the NFL. And uh, that's where I stand with that. I'm, I'm, I look at myself as none other than a diehard soldier. Okay, so I must have read some some false info there, but uh, anyhow, you are a, you are a, um, a big time member of of the black hole, as we know. Um, you know, in my opinion, obviously, I think it's fair to say you and you know Gorilla Rilla are, are probably two of the more iconic personalities in in the black hole. Um, can you tell us how you came up with the idea, um, you know, for the Violator, and and kind of how? the the personality has evolved throughout the years well let's go all the way back to uh my childhood years i call violated to me as a kindred spirit that i've lived with since i was old enough to even know that spirits were inside of you um i always once i started loving the raiders back in 1970 i saw that low pirate on the side of that helmet with swords, I was hooked as a kid. So my mission became then to move from Mississippi to California so I could attend games in person. That was a dream. And uh, so this, this football pirate that you guys see now didn't always look like that. I started off looking like something between uh, Mad Max, you know, something like that. And uh, but I knew how I wanted the character to look. So over the years, I just developed the character's look as I grew into the character myself, you know, and just understanding that I could have this image from hell, but be a, a beacon, if you will, of positivity at the game. Because to me, football was always a family affair, you know. So when people say that we're not family friendly, it insults the hell out of me. That's interesting that uh, you you basically just packed up and moved out to uh, California just just for the Raiders. Is that is that is that what I'm understanding? To to go to Raider games in person and make a name for myself. That was my goal. That's great, and I, I would say you definitely accomplished that. Um, one of the other things I've always wondered, um, like when, you know, when I see you on TV and all that, I've always wondered how long is the process from start to finish to transform from Wayne Marbury to into the violator? And, and do you need any assistance with, like with some of the makeup or is this something you do all by yourself? This is transformation is about a two hour process, brother. And I don't need any assistance because nobody would know what the hell to do. <laughs> it's, it's, sort of, it's, it's, it's very rituals for me and I've been doing it the same way. Well, it, it's refined, but I've been doing that same process, like I say, for 28 years. And it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual transformation. Uh, you know, I feel like what you see on Sunday every day, but I, when, when I put the exterior coating on it, if you will, that's when I let you see how I'm feeling inside all the time. So you say 29 years. So you, you haven't missed a home game in 29 years or – I didn't say I have missed a home game, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I've been doing this. I've been doing this process for 28 years, right? Starting this season, it's 28 years. Okay. And do you ever attend any road games? When when I can afford to, yes. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Um. Couple. I got a few more for you here. 
Is there any significance? I, I see you wear you always wear the number 57 jersey. Is there any significance to that jersey number? That was uh, back in the L.A. Coliseum days when Jerry Robinson was a linebacker for us. He was a castaway from Philadelphia, and I just took him in as a throwaway, and that's what the Raiders basically were. They would bring in misfits. So I had an attraction to him because of his attitude that he brought to the game. He wasn't the biggest guy, but he played with that heart. Uh, So to make a long story short, to keep from buying jerseys every time a person is, you know, cast away from the team, I just decided, you know what? This number fits me. You know, it feels special. So I'm not going to keep changing numbers. So that's when I locked in on 57. And like I say, that's been about uh, 20, 27 years with that number because I started out at 55 because I was in love with Matt Millen at the time. That's, that's a smart move by you because I know I I owned a couple of jerseys myself. I don't have a huge jersey collection, but I, two of the jerseys that I, I did have were Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, and obviously they're no longer with the team, so I've kind of been hesitant to to purchase any new ones. Um, so that is actually a very wise move by you, just to keep with the same number all the time. <laughs> and actually, you've made it. Well, see, you've well, made it very iconic. Well, actually, see, I look at it. I, I look at it like this. I look at the outfit that you see me wearing as my tuxedo. I'm dressed for business, you know. Yeah. So why keep changing it? You know, people say, "Oh, when are you going to change something? Do you change a '57 Chevy? You leave it the hell alone. Wash it and drive it." That's right. If it ain't so broke, that's my concept. If it ain't broke, if don't it ain't fix broke, it. Don't fix it. That's right. And I got another phrase for it, but we'll just keep it PG. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All right. Over the years, <laughs> over the years, you know, you've seen a lot of Raider games. Um, what is your most memorable moment? Um, you know, as a fan sitting in the black hole. First one that comes to mind was the. Uh, the championship game against the Tennessee Titans. Now that particular game is, it stands out for me because I didn't have tickets for that game. So I thought, so I get a call from the front office, so to speak, saying to uh, get a flight and get up there that, that, you know, they had tickets for me in my section right there. So I'm like, okay. So I had to, of course, hurry up, find a flight, which wasn't out of my normal airport. You know, I had to fly out of John Wayne Airport, which is in Orange County, for those that geographically know how California is. And, and by the way, every game for me is a road game. So it's, that's a six-and-a-half-hour drive. So it's not, a, it's not basically a right, right around the corner for me. That's a road game for me. So basically, I'm on the road, you know, eight to nine times a year just going to the home games. But anyway, so I get to the airport, and uh, I've never flown out of there, and I'm in full costume. The whole airport stopped. The terminal I walked in just stopped. You know, so I just get in line, my wife and I, you know, not thinking nothing. Hey, we got to get to this game. And uh, so I hear people mumbling in front of me and behind me. So security comes up and taps me on the shoulder, takes me up in the elevator, and that, that started pandemonium in the airport. They were like, well, why did they take him in there? And what flight is he on? You know. And uh, so after they took me through security, which was full body security, uh, 
with the armed guards, you know, M16s and the whole nine yards, you know. They told me to get on the plane and had me hide in the back where they prepare all the food and drinks. Stand behind a wall, basically, until all the other passengers got on and then sit in the last seat there. So that was interesting for us. And then, uh, you know, by the time we got to the stadium from Oakland Airport, they were playing the National Anthem. So, you know, here we are running downstairs doing the National Anthem, you know, to get to our seats. And, uh, you know, everybody knows how the game went back and forth, back and forth. It was a great game, but we pulled it out in the end. And, uh, you know, that was just fantastic, you know. So this this puts us into the Super Bowl. So that was one of my most memorable moments right there. And also the first game when the team moved from L.A. back to Oakland. Why, why was that? in what I call Mecca. But that, that's, that's Mecca. That's what I grew up seeing as a kid. So to go there for the first time was just, you know, breathtaking. Right. Just to see it in person. So I say every Raider fan in his lifetime, before the team moves, of course, should go and experience a game there. Ain't nothing like it. Yeah, I'm. you know, I live over on the East Coast. I live in uh, Buffalo, New York, actually. Um and it's been something that I've really been thinking hard about doing is trying to get out there to see a game, you know, before they before they leave. So maybe I'll uh, talk to you off the air about about some details of that, if you don't mind. A um, couple more questions. You know, how, how are you feeling about the current state of the Raiders? You know, 2018 was a was a tough season for the Raiders. Um, there was lots lots of additions that were made in free agency, and of, of course the draft last week. You know, how, how are you feeling as we head into the 2019 season? Evan, I'm going to take, I take every season the same way, almost like you're preparing for it and going through training camp yourself. You know, you can't go into a season with a negative uh, attitude about it. You got to leave the past behind you. Whatever happens, that's cracked eggs. We can't, you can't uncrack an egg, but we can look forward to the next batch that we get. So I'm excited as hell. And I always go into it thinking we can pull it off, even though our schedule's set up against us, our, you know, our tra- as far as travel, you know, this and that. This is the stuff that I look at how it's, we're set up to fail from the very start. So when we do come out victorious, that makes those victories that much sweeter. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited like a kid waiting on Christmas myself. Do you like some of the, the, the draft picks? How do you feel about that? Me personally, I like all of them because it looks like they picked these guys that weren't any prima donnas per se. These are guys that uh, got a lot to prove. They've gone through a lot during their collegiate, you know, and, and just years coming up. So they're looking for, like, like, like uh, Mayock said, character guys. And that's what I look – to me, it looks like they, they went and got. They weren't some of the flashiest guys, some of the guys I'd never even heard of. But, you know, you can YouTube them all and, and see their college states, you know. But the thing is, is to change that whole culture, you want a bunch of hungry dogs. And I say it constantly, talking about dog having his teeth back, this and that, you know, put the meat away because we're time to feed. And uh, so that's the way I look at the game. And I'll never change that because that's a Raiders mentality. We got to take what we want. I agree with that. I like that. Um 
you know, I hate to bring up what I'm sure is a very sensitive subject, um, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I if I didn't. Um, so I got to ask, you know, this is this will officially be the final season for the Raiders in Oakland. What's the plan for Violator and the Black Hole in 2020 and beyond? Wow. Yeah, that is a sensitive subject. But as, as it stands now, I'm looking forward to the 2019 season. I'm excited for them finally getting a state-of-the-art facility. They've, they've deserved that for decades, in my opinion. Uh, as far as me being in Vegas, I'll, I'll intend to be there whenever possible. I don't have season tickets at this point, but, you know, anything could happen between now and then. So, you know, uh, budget-wise, that I'm kind of priced out for where I've been sitting for, you know, the last 20, 23, 24 years. Right. I can't imagine the, the tickets and the PSLs and all that are – are uh, you know real cheap right now? Um, I'm 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 retired and on a fixed income, brother. So like I say, I've basically been priced out. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, I, I do have one last question for you, and I know that um, in your spare time, you 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 are involved in a lot of uh, you know charity work. So, do you care to share any information about us or you know with us about that? Or if you want to plug anything while you're on, go go ahead. You can do that. I appreciate that. Yeah, because that's uh, definitely uh, uh, I'm passionate about that. Once I cross over into that arena, it's nothing like giving back, donating your effort and your time to, you know, those who have misfortune. Um, one of my thing is kids with cancer. And I work along with, with the Raider Nation for Life uh, car club. You know, that's that's one of the main charities that I really help out with. And they also go out and we feed the vets, visit them at VA hospitals and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, and we throw Christmas parties once a year for these cancer uh, patients. So it, it, it's, it's an endeavor, man, that I didn't see myself walking into. But you never know where your calling is if you're afraid to take the next step. And that's why I called mine a journey. And basically, I'm living the dream. Wow, that that's great. I didn't, you know, I didn't know to the extent of the the type of work you're doing, but you know, to work with with children with with cancer and obviously our vets, those are two great great causes, and I really, I really commend you um, on that. Um, you know, th- Wayne, that's that's really all I have for you. Um, you know, I know I speak for Raider Nation when I when I say that I I really do hope to see you guys out there in Las Vegas. You know, it certainly won't be the same for me if I'm not seeing you guys out there on TV. You know, even if it is for only you know a, a game or two a season, you know, it's better than nothing. So I I do really hope to see you out there, and and I hope that you enjoy this final season. You know, in Oakland, I think I think you guys deserve it. You're obviously very passionate and and um and diehard fans well i'd say i appreciate the sentiments brother i've already prayed on that whole situation and something will come about it you know i will be there like i say on occasion i don't know where i'll be but i will be in there some kind of way and uh that that's like i say another part of my journey that's the unknown right now you know i know i have tickets in oakland for this season but after that you know, I, I may be a nomad. You know, I may have to do more road games than home games. 
Right, right. Well, Wayne, once again, I, I appreciate you coming on. Give me a, a few minutes. You shared some great stories with us. And uh, again, um, I, I hope you enjoy that final season in Oakland and keep up the good work, Wayne. Appreciate it, brother, and look forward to seeing you out there before we move. I hope so. I hope so. Like I said, I'll be reaching out to you probably on Twitter, uh, kind of picking your brain, getting some uh, some information for you. So I appreciate your help with that. Have a good night, Wayne. Not a problem. Hit, hit me up anytime, Evan. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was my interview with Wayne Mabry, the violator, and uh, I want to thank him again for coming on the show with me tonight. He was one of the first guests that came to my mind when I – came up with the idea to get this podcast going so I was very excited to finally get him on and do me a favor go check him out on Twitter at Violator57 he has a um, signature cigar collection that you can contact him about on Twitter and he also has a clothing website the website address for that is modo-sports.com that's m-o-d-o-sports.com so check that out that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the podcast I'd like to thank you all for joining me, and I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please uh, leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. I appreciate the feedback. I hope everyone has a great week, and go Raiders!